Welcome to episode 222 of Destination Linux. Whether you're brand new to open source or a guru of sudo, this is the podcast for you. My name is Michael, and with me today are Noah, Ryan, and Jill. And on this week's episode of DL, we're going to be discussing Flatpak security for whether or not the concerns of a particular website is fact or FUD. Then we'll be joined by Mikhail Koretiev of OnlyOffice for an interview about their open source Office Suite. And then we'll take a look at System76 announcements for their new Cosmic desktop environment. Plus, we have our tips, tricks, and software picks. All this and so much more coming up right now on Destination Linux. In our community feedback this week, Christian writes us and asks, Hello team, I love your show and listen to it every time I'm ordered to clean the kitchen. Only when you clean the kitchen, though? I well, feel hopefully like he does it at least once a week then. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um, I just stumbled upon this site and it's flatkill.org, which addresses Flatpak security flaws. Since I know Noah is a red head fanboy and i didn't change that because i thought that was really funny it's red hat i think you meant but it could is that like a thing with red hatters you nah, call them redheads I, I think it's fanboy. Just a typo. <laughs> and many of us use flat pack at least in some cases i'd like you to have a look at these issues and maybe talk about them or even debunk them whatever necessary keep up the great work cheers from berlin germany christian so this is an interesting one i know michael is very passionate about this so Michael, you've looked through flatkill.org. Is flat packs, are they just security nightmares that are going to destroy your system and the earth as we know it is now doomed because we have this universal package system <laughs> that isn't as secure as we this flatkill.org says it should be? Uh, no, definitely oh. not. I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't agree with this website in pretty much any way. Uh, there's, there's certain things that it says that are accurate, but they kind of push it towards a different like agenda of what they're saying so for example within the first three words it had inaccuracy uh, because it said flat packs or red hats flat packs red hat doesn't make flat packs uh, but there's a couple of things that i did want to talk about because there are certain things that it said that are accurate for example the sandboxing is not a complete sandbox it's not a uh, it can be depending on the flat the flat pack uh, depending on how the permissions are set up and stuff like that but this website complains that by, uh, about the sandboxing, but at the same time complains about desktop integration. But these things are kind of polar opposites. If you want to have desktop integration, you have to have some kind of compromises when it comes to the sandbox. If you want to have a full sandbox, well, you can't have desktop integration. They, they don't work together. You have to have some sort of compromise. And the way that Flatpaks did it is that they created a, a, the ability for Flatpaks to... Uh, get access to different folders of your drive to be able to pull files in. For example, let's say you have a flat pack of Inkscape. It would be very beneficial to have access to your drive to save the files from Inkscape to your system. If you had a full sandbox system, you wouldn't be able to save it to your files. So that would be kind of problematic. And thus they create a file system structure. But it would be secure. You couldn't it would save be anything. Very secure. You, you could, could never use it, you but could. it would be secure. That is true. You could yeah. do that. But like there, it. so there are people who have issues of, of you know, of there that some applications get out of the sandbox and that sort of stuff, and they're doing it through this file system access structure. And a lot of the times, if you look at the uh, the website that the Flatkill thing, it says, uh, you if you put home, it'll give you access to your entire home folder. Well, a lot of people want that. Now, not all flat packs need to do that, and some flat packs need even more access. So there's another one called host. So the host file system allows you to get 
uh, more access just than the home folder. So it could be other uh, uh, file systems mounted, uh, other drives mounted, and that sort of stuff. But it's still, even then, as a limitation blockage. So it's still going to blacklist some folders that will never get access to the Flatpak. For example, the user bin will never get access to the Flatpak. The proc, the things like that, There's no, they won't allow you. Of like, Of course, boot and slash root, they're not going to get access. They're blacklisted. So just by using host, you're not going to get everything anyway. And isn't the point to read the permissions that it clearly tells you in an app like we should all be doing with our phones or any software? Because when you go to install Flatpak, it will tell you what permissions that app wants. And if you want Flatpaks to be the ones that access nothing, then only download and install those applications that don't have access. And then you've got the sandbox that you want. You've got the security features you want. But my understanding is this is up to the developers. I mean, this is up to the software functionality to make sure, A, it can actually work because that's kind of important. And then B, that if they want to implement some of these security features and things, but part of Flatpak's security measure is when you go to install Flatpak, it tells you what permissions that app's going in. You can deny it and say, I don't want this app to, I don't want to install this app after yeah. all. They're actually, a, that, that's a good point there. They does tell you what it's going to be doing it depending on the, the software store you're getting the Flatpak from. Uh, but there is also another aspect to that in that the permissions can be manipulated by the user. So you can actually t- install a Flatpak that says, I have uh, this permission or I need this permission. And that user could say, I don't want it to have that permission. I want it to have a different permission. You can use the flat seal application structure to change the permissions of a Flatpak. So the user could make the choice as well as the developer. So that's one of the cool things about Flatpak because it has both of those options. So uh, there's, and there's also a bunch of other stuff that is important about Flatpaks that are misleading on this, uh, this, this website. And one of the things is like the security patches argument saying that some flat apps, Flatpaks apps are not updated in time or, you know, uh, they, they contain security, long known security holes or whatnot. So they gave this example of uh, Git G or G I T G that has a, uh, a vulnerable uh, lib SSH2 library. But they didn't take into consideration that the reason Git G doesn't have an updated lib SSH2 is because there isn't a updated lib SSH2. So there's not a stable release that actually fixes that problem. So the reason they don't have the problem fixed is because it doesn't exist to be put into the Flatpak. You know what, but this is, this is killing my need to get like my pitchfork and my torch out and be like, (laughs) flat packs, universal packages. It's this new thing and I don't like it cause so give me anything that was right on this website. Um, (laughs) Flat packs is a thing. Yeah. So they're they're real. (laughs) That's the real thing. There's, Hmm. there are some statements about like the the whole file system host thing is a thing, but they kind of just kind of like pushed it on a different path. And and I think that there are certain aspects to keep in mind that flat packs are not like a complete secure system. Where where you get those flat packs does matter. So if you get them from the flat hub, you have a good chance that they're going to be good to use. Uh, it doesn't mean that they're guaranteed, but they would have a likelihood of in, in terms of like other repos that have you you trust the source for that kind of thing. So I'm not trying to say that they're totally secure and there's no big deal and whatever. Of course it's not, not. It's not that. Because a lot of these issues with distribution tools and permissions are all apparent in all of these type of tools, like apt, for instance. 
Like the, these issues are not inherently flat pack issues. And in my understanding, I was surprised about this site. It sounds like you all were more familiar with it, that this was a district flat pack and snaps. Those are distribution methods. They're not the containerization and stuff is a, it's a feature that can be implemented by the developers if they want. But ultimately the goal of flat pack is for distribution, universal distribution of apps so that mm-hmm. we don't have all these compatibility issues. Is it, am I, mean, I wrong? It's, it's, it is that, but it's also the, the containerization is built into flat packs and also snaps. So when you do, when you make a snap or you make a flat pack, you are going to get the containerization automatically and you can choose what permissions of file system access you can get, you can get as well uh, in, in flat packs and that sort of stuff, uh, which is for a variety of reasons beneficial. But in terms of the distribution aspect, this is good because uh, the universal support is one easily accessible through distribution and also works on multiple different distributions or like different Linux distros. So I, I realized I used that word for, the, for two different things in the same sentence. So <laughs> I had to clarify, but the, the reason is with apt, you have this like apt and dev files have a problem in that uh, dev files are locked to their dependencies. So if a dependency library does not update the application that depends on that, that library, can't update either. So it basically creates a locking structure where if you depend on this thing underneath it and this thing never moves, then you can't t- move update the, the, the sitting the layer on top. And that and that's one of the biggest issues with dev files is that when a new version of Ubuntu comes out, you are locked to a lot of those applications for six months until the new libraries are updated. Right. And that's yeah. one of the reasons why PPAs exist. That's why they were created in the first place. That's also one of the reasons why snaps were made and to kind of create a solution to still get updates of applications without having to worry about that locking mechanism. And also yeah. to say, you know, the people talking about security, I mean, like there's in this website, it talked about like security vulnerabilities found uh, in Flatpak. And they said that Flatpak looked at it as a minor problem. It's like, well, I mean, they fixed it two days before the announcement was made. So it's, probably minor because they already had it fixed uh but you know security issues happen every once in a while for pretty much everything even apt had a issue a long time ago where there was a bug that uh, mirror operators could run root commands on your system that's not good yeah Yeah. there's security vulnerabilities everywhere i think that the team that works on this stuff takes it very seriously and absolutely they fix it when they can and and so christian i love that you brought this to our attention Mm -hmm. i wasn't aware of it thank you so much Mm -hmm. for this email it was actually awesome michael because i learned uh additional talking points to this which is really upsetting because i wanted to name this show is flat pack a security nightmare like one of our patrons (laughs) suggested so we get a lot of views and clickbait but sounds like unfortunately uh, for all the people who want to join me with pitchforks and torches, the answer is no. It, I mean, if you just not. put a question mark at the end, everybody knows the answer to those kinds of, of titles. Yeah. Is just no anyway. So that could work still. Yeah. Okay, good. We can name our show that. <laughs> yeah. There were so much uh, inconsistencies in this article. That's for sure. The one thing I wanted to point out was that they were, you know, he was talking about uh, fonts and, and flat packs, mm-hmm. not using the system-wide fonts. Well, there's a reason for that. There are security issues. And until they fix those, they're not going to publicly put it out there. Right. <laughs> you know? I mean, <laughs> that's one of the things too. the sandbox creates the problem of those yeah, fonts. And exactly. it, when they were talking about... what I, It made me <laughs> laugh when they did the update and they said, it's still a, still a lie. The sandbox is still a lie. I'm like, no, it's not a lie. It's a, it's a different perspective of what this is doing. And... Which they're very open about if you just mm-hmm. read the documentation. Yeah. But it's also funny to me when 
they had like three points of why this is important. And then the first <laughs> point is a contradiction to the third point. Like you can't yeah, have a yes. sandbox and exactly. desktop integration. Fine, guys. I'll take down my flatkill.org website. <laughs> I was really trying to get people on board, but fine, I'll, I'll kill it. <laughs> so we love hearing from our worldwide community. What we want you to do is get your official DLN mug, fill it with some bubbly like I do, or some coffee, sit down on the nearest stool and send us an email to comments at destinationlinux.org. And if you want to join in on the community discussions, then join the DLN community discourse forum by going to dlnforum.com. This episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by DigitalOcean and their new app platform. DigitalOcean's app platform services a solution to build modern cloud-native apps. DigitalOcean's app platform has support for Node.js, Python, Go, PHP, Ruby, and static sites. What does that mean? Well, it means you simply point your GitHub or GitLab repository to the app platform and let DigitalOcean do all the heavy lifting for you. They handle the infrastructure, the app runtimes, the dependencies, all you have to focus on is pushing your code to production with just a few clicks. Secure apps automatically. They create, manage, renew your SSL certificates and protect your apps from DDoS attacks. Run code with little to no customization. App Platform uses open cloud native standards and automatically analyzes your code that creates containers and runs in Kubernetes clusters. Now, as a listener of the Destination Linux podcast and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free. No, no, not free. Better than free. We're going to give you $100 credit. So by not going to do.co slash DLN, you're giving up $100. You're just you throwing it in the trash. slash DLN, <laughs> then you're getting the $100. I know what so I'm choosing. Don't throw $100 away. Go to do.co slash DLN. Get $100. Play with the new app platform. Spin up some servers. You could spin up a $5 server. You could spin up a monster $200. Well, no, you can't do that because it's $100 credit. $100 server. That's where you max out. Go find out what you can do with that $100 credit. Again, do.co slash DLN. And a huge thanks to DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Destination Linux. That's my favorite mess up ever. <laughs> it's not even a mess up. You got to keep awesome. that in there. It's hilarious. A 200. You had to go bigger than the 200. Well, because here's the thing. I have uh, for a one of 200. the, like one of the, one of, one of the ad reads that I did for the show. I like my son <gasps> I had a, uh, a Minecraft server and he broke it because it ran out of memory. And I was like, it's no problem. No, with digitalocean do.co slash DLN, we'll get the monster sized droplet and run it for free. Better than for free for just a few. And then we'll. <laughs> 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 So uh, we rented and your son's like, you just got okay, turned dad? on to the ad mode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. So we rented one of their big Unas. I love with it. $100. Yeah. That's what I use mine for. We'd like to welcome to the show, Mikhail Korativ. I probably pronounced that wrong, but uh, that's, I did my best. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike is, is the PR manager at Only Office, and we're excited to have you on the show. Mike, welcome to the show. Uh, hi, everyone. Nice to be here. Hello. Since we have a healthy mix of experienced users and new users of Linux and open source uh, who listen to our show, uh, can you give us a high-level summary of what OnlyOffice is and the mission behind it? So basically, OnlyOffice is a professional-grade open source uh, collaborative office that delivers uh, the advanced editing functionality and seamless and smart collaboration um, options for teams of any size with maximum data security. And here we are talking about both uh, businesses and uh, individual um, kind of users. And yeah, unlike other alternative to Microsoft Office or Google, OnlyOffice Docs have uh, 
maximum compatibility with Microsoft Office formats and can be used in the cloud or can be deployed in a, as a self-hosted solution and uh, within their own environment of the user. So depends on what they want in easy cloud access or some solution with total control over the data. Um, Office can be accessed from the web interface and a desktop application and as well uh, we also provide uh, mobile editors for iOS and Android uh, for collaboration and editing on the go. And talking about the mission, yeah, OnOffice is kind of a fast-growing project, I would say, and we are committed to making document processing and collaboration technologies, um, team productivity tools accessible, powerful and secure at the same time, and yeah, trying to balance on all these three. And uh, we strongly believe that worldwide kind of a division of labor in exists in the world of software um, creation and we should have found our role within it which is digital documents and document processing nice oh awesome mike and and we're all using only office right now for for our show notes and it's so nice to have an alternative to google docs and microsoft office 365 for online documents yay <laughs> so my question is only Office is a fully open source alternative to Microsoft Office. What are some of the integrations and sync options that can be leveraged with this tool? Um, for example, Nextcloud, and you had own cloud as well. Uh, yeah, we do. Thank you for the question. It's kind of an interesting one because, yeah, on the one hand, um, only Office editors, which we call Only Office Docs, can be integrated with our own uh, native platform for collaboration called Only Office Groups. Uh, it comes in a bundle with it in Only Office Workspace, which is like a full stack, full stack solution. And there you have the document editors, and uh, at in the platform you give uh, some interconnected models for uh, document management, project management, CRM, mail, calendars, corporate communication hubs, or everything together. And yeah, on the other hand, uh, we can integrate only Office Docs with the numerous third-party applications. We have already tested integrations with a variety of sync and share platforms, content management systems, and e-learning platforms, whatever. And uh, uh, also with both official integration apps that we create and uh, a third-party uh, created mm -hmm. integration apps, which uh, our community gives to us. And I guess, the, uh, deeper uh, integration examples are Nextcloud and OwnCloud, of course, where you can not only edit and collaborate on the files, but you can also deploy on the office on a federated network to like so thousands of users in different uh, between different Nextclouds can communicate, collaborate with each other. You can work with the platform interface uh, in in a deeper way. You can share with advanced sharing permissions. And yeah, we also have very mature uh, integrations with Alfresco and Confluence. Yeah, and generally over 30 integration apps already exist for, for, for the third-party services. And you can just set up docs and stuff working right away. Nice. Um, you said something yeah, that was really interesting to me. And I wanted to follow up, just I have a little quick follow-up question. When you said about the collaboration aspects of OnlyOffice, uh, we got a, a question in the ch the live chat is asking does that does that mean it has real time collaborative editing on the like online version so you can uh, have multiple people at the same time editing a document? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, purely real time, but um, uh, we have two modes 
Uh, so we adding a little bit extra to it. You can edit like in a basic uh, uh, fast mode where you can just uh, see as whatever one types. I mean, as what comes to your mind when you hear um, real-time collaboration. And we also have a strict mode where you can actually collaborate in one document, but you can reserve some kind of areas within it. Um, right. and, and you work on them privately, so no one um, just, I don't know, randomly pops up. And so it's no distraction uh, at this point, and it really helps when you have, I don't know, 10 people working on the same text, for example. So you can do it real time, or you can uh, restrict it briefly if you want. Nice. Oh, that's, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. A lot of distros come preloaded with LibreOffice. If for people that are out there considering OnlyOffice, what are some of the advantages of OnlyOffice over LibreOffice? Uh, here, I guess the main point is uh, the good support for Microsoft Office files, uh, because LibreOffice is all about ODF, more or less. I mean, we, they have much, much better support to, for ODF, of course, and we have much better support uh, for Microsoft Office files. And since um, Microsoft Office for Linux basically does not exist, so our desktop editors from OnlyOffice has no alternative that could work with, uh, with the Office Open XML files properly on Linux. And yeah, of course, we know that Linux community values uh, open standards and not everyone likes the idea of uh, using Microsoft uh, formats in the first place. Right. It's like really highly debated topic, as you might guess, but many people still work and they work and live in the environments when they receive or send or they download uh, Microsoft files from somewhere, they have to deal them in some way. And so this can help. Um, also, LibreOffice does not work with digital signatures in uh, in Microsoft files, but OnlyOffice doesn't uh, does. But we, on the other hand, don't sign ODFs yet, for example. So it's basically about uh, what kinds of documents you work the most. And we we found our niche uh, actually among the users who need to work with with Microsoft files on a daily basis, thanks to the uh, compatibility and. Another reason to choose um, on the office, I mean, with, if you're referencing the feedback from the users is the interface. So many people consider uh, LibreOffice um, interface to be very complex and difficult to get used to at first. And while we received some really good reviews regarding the user friendliness and overall look, and I guess this also plays its part. And yeah, apparently also, um, our editors are online first, so and we are bringing the online part to to the desktop application as well. We made it possible to connect to the cloud, to work collaboratively, to work with your online document management system through the desktop application. Not only in our own cloud, but also in in Nextcloud, own cloud, C file, and. Last Friday, our, our our team published the IPIs for for the desktop editors integration. So now the developers can connect any platform to OnlyOffice desktop editors. This is kind of a list of things that maybe gives us a bit of advantage here. No, I think that's really interesting because that's one of the big reasons why I was utilizing this software was for the Microsoft, um, the capabilities for it to be compatible with those documents. I just found it was much more compatible than other editors. And that was important because people sending me files were using Office and things. I also did a poll this week with our community and I was asking them what Office solution that they were using. And we got, as you would imagine, a bunch of different options there uh, that were available. But two of the ones that came up quite frequently, and a lot of it was, like you said, forced because 
either their work utilizes it or those these are the ones that people send them documents for was Google Docs and Office 365. So these are obviously very popular solutions out there in the mainstream. Let's talk a little more about the option that we have here with only Office in regards to your cloud solution and why switching over from Google Docs or Office 365, what are some advantages someone there would find with this product? Uh, yeah, thanks for that question. Um, so when comparing only Office to Microsoft Office, it's first of all about the online functionality because not everyone knows that uh, Microsoft's Office Online, uh, it's, it's nothing like the desktop application. It's really kind of light, uh, sweet uh, light software where you don't get all the functionality that you would like to have. And it's um, basically it's used as a leverage to promote the desktop office. So only office is online first and we offer, we offer the online editing functionality, which is just the same as, as uh, the desktop one. And we have maximum compatibility uh, with the Microsoft at the same time. So um, it's like, uh, first of all, in the cloud. And um, talking about Google, I mean, uh, Google improves their compatibility with all the different formats constantly. I mean, they have their own kind of format where you create the documents, but the main point here is only in a public cloud. And uh, you know quite well that, I mean, Google is monitoring the documents and there are a lot of like issues popping up, something about the code that no one knew for 10 years or some kind of another breach tomorrow or, yeah, so this is quite good for some quick sharing of documents. You can easily just, I don't know, drop any kind of file and share it with anyone. Uh, but the point is that for for the corporate use, for, for a business or for an organization, and when you work with sensitive data, it's, um, and I think it's, I don't know, a good decision for that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, the security is a big deal. What about cost difference between the two? Um, yeah, actually, I mean, we are much more, a portable product than uh, than Microsoft because I mean we start from say I guess yeah it's four dollars per user and uh, it can give you a picture of of what it is so it's only Office workspace in the cloud for example since we are talking about cloud and you get only Office Docs and you get the collaboration platform altogether I mean I mentioned it earlier um, like what it is there yeah so it's or per user. And also um, another option is to deploy it on-premises and we are kind of focusing on it because it gives you more control over the data, more um, security features. You can work like end-to-end -end with many things. You don't let the data go out of your um, corporate network and, and et cetera. And uh, what Google Workspace and Microsoft 365 don't, just don't give you the option. You have to work in the cloud all the time. I mean, many organizations still prefer to self-host and especially when we're talking about governments, when we're talking about education. I mean, at least right. in Europe, it's, it's really a thing. And yeah. So one of the things that I've heard with this software, uh, with Office suites like Office and things, is they purposely make the formats very proprietary. Of course, there, there's a lot of things behind the scenes that are proprietary. So it's very hard to actually make those compatibility layers like you've done here because Microsoft kind of purposely makes this difficult for people to... I don't know, be able to take that that proprietary code and disassemble it and be able to figure out how to display that then in a solution like this. But let me ask, is everything only Office does completely open source? So from the cloud infrastructure down to the software itself that you can 
you can install on your desktop or are there only portions of it that are open source? Uh, yeah, we have different kinds of licenses and uh, I mean, the, the core, I mean, of the solutions are all open source. Our um, group's solution with uh, the uh, collaborative apps, for example, is on Apache, uh, the rest is uh, GPL. And uh, yeah, so all the code of all the core and the functionality is open. Yeah. That's amazing. And, cool. That is, that's awesome. So, you know, many people who adopt alternatives to MS Office find that uh, formatting and or inconsistencies with conversions between the two could also happen. Uh, is Those can create problems for professional environments or educational institutions and stuff like that who have to deal with tons of different documents, like you know thousands of documents and different types of documents and that kind of thing. What can people do who want to use an open source solution but can't risk the like can't take the risk of compatibility or formatting problems? Yeah, so when creating only Office, we didn't, we didn't actually go the easy way and just use some ready code to create another generic office app and uh, or to um, just give birth to another ODF-based um, solution because there are already good ones out there, RiverOffice, for example. And we just decided to create something new on our own. And they are, yeah, of course, uh, there is always a lot of chase. And but we can say that we have uh, maximum compatibility on all the features that we have at the moment, and we will add more. There's nothing we can't add. Actually, it just takes time. And uh, yeah, we basically testing every day uh, automatic and hand tests uh, on the documents which come from 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 Microsoft Office. So it's improving every day. And yeah. I mean, this is and a big course, deal in a professional yeah. environment. And this is a big deal, Jill, even in the college environment, which you yeah. deal with quite a bit, right? Because if I have somebody send me a resume because they want a job and because they use, you know, at work, I'm forced to use Office and they're using a different Office suite and the format comes and it's jumbled yeah. all over the place and you got giant yeah. fonts and nothing like <laughs> this could mean them not getting a job. So um, I personally, though, have found that only Office is the suite that is the most compatible between the two. There are minor issues that will come up every once in a while, but nothing like the other projects, which is why primarily I've switched to only Office myself um, as the Office suite that I use because of that compatibility. This is a big deal. You can't mm -hmm. send in papers to your college professor and then they open <laughs> it up in their Microsoft Office and it's got fonts all over the place. And now you just got an F on your paper because yeah. you, know, you look lazy. <laughs> it's a big deal. Yeah. It's exactly yeah. So for everyone who like has the problem of like needing uh, Microsoft formats in the daily life, but still want to uh, stick to open source, this is exactly our niche. And yeah, about um, actually creating a suite to be uh, as uh, compatible as we can, um, it's it's not actually easy because yeah, um, uh, Office Open XML it's in some way an open standard, and they have all the libraries where we can get information to to build our uh, suite based on that. But the question is, does Microsoft itself stick to it? Because um, if you build something on 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 these standards, yeah, um, their editor, uh, the, the very editor of Microsoft might work a bit differently. And this is also kind of an issue. So like we just have to constantly come up with something and just test it and like go some new ways and dark forest of, of the standards and, and, and these objects and all this, all kind of other things. But yeah, I mean, but coming from feedback, we so far do it quite well, but so, yeah, I'm actually glad to hear that, that the, the example you brought up. Yeah. 
No, it's it's great work that you all are doing there. Yeah, and you know, I noticed it actually because I I converted it um, the online uh, document to LibreOffice ODT, and I also converted it to Word to t- test it out, and it did a very good job with the indents. <laughs> <laughs> That's something yeah. it seems simple, but like Ryan was talking about, I, you know, um, that can throw a I, whole paper off. Yeah. yeah. That can throw a whole paper off. So it, they, it really did a good job at those, uh, conversions, which is really amazing. Uh, another question I had for you, Mike was with the partnerships you have with colleges or businesses that have adopted this solution, what has been some of the feedback you've received both good and in areas where there is still work to be done. You, you've heard some of the feedback, but is, is there anything else? Uh, yeah, sure, I do. And we have like uh, a long list of things that um, people want us to improve or, or to add to on the office. And it's like, of course, and I mean, creating uh, a document processing, it's like, it's something that you can keep improving forever, basically. And I mean, I guess the, the most wanted features are I even I even asked uh, the Q&A team to uh, to give me some uh, insights about uh, kind of the most uh, the most wanted things are at the moment. And yeah, it's first of all, uh, password protection, for example, not, not only for the documents, uh, but also for for the particular parts of them, for example, the spreadsheet cells to encrypt the spreadsheet cells mm-hmm. or to protect mm-hmm. them, to watermark them. Yeah, this is uh, kind of, yeah, it's also, it was um, also, uh, we have to work a lot with the PDF and this is our goal for, for, for the future now to improve working with PDF too in, in terms of creating and editing them. And for example, PDF hyperlinks. Um, also, people are requesting more and more options for, for working with charts and um, also many of our users still uh, uh, waiting for dark mode, dark mode to come. Sorry, and it's actually almost there. Is I guess somewhere in the next release on or the one coming after that. But so it yeah, quite quite pretty soon. Yeah, and uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, only office is quite popular for um, in the education and research sphere, um, where like actually quality of formatting is like uh, the most important thing. And we are quite popular in French and German universities, for example, the Pantheon Sorbonne of Paris and Academy of Lille, University of Bremen, University of Cologne, and yeah, just dozens of others. And this is where like we get a lot of feedback and a lot of feature requests and yeah trying to keep up with that. <laughs> this is this is so important to be in the schools and in the colleges because what people don't realize in, in, in corporate America is a lot of the decisions that are made and what tools are used are based on the employees that we're hiring. So if they're used to a certain thing coming out of college, that's exactly mm-hmm. what we're going to put into our workplace so they can be most efficient, most effective, hit the floor running. So if you can get into those schools and institutions, which I believe these schools should not be requiring you to pay license fees to a commercial property. Yeah. To utilize these things while you're in school, but even outside of that, if, if only Office or these open source solution tools like Blender and things become standards in the colleges and schools, they become standards in the institutions outside those schools as well, which I think is it's awesome to hear that you're partnering with universities and other things um, in the European area. And hopefully more schools look to adopt that because I think it's unfair to put the price of those things on to, to students. Like tuition's not expensive enough. Well, here in the States anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, yeah, sure. We were like all raised to use Microsoft, and this is kind of unfair. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Let's make a change. <laughs> A lot of professionals rely heavily on formulas, and a lot of times they're getting these formulas from either other people that work in Excel or work in the Excel world, um, and they rely on that to do their job. So if if somebody's considering using only Office, are they going to be able to use things like the formulas and macros that they're used, used to, or, or does that require a bit of a transition? Yeah, talking about formulas, for example, we support at the moment 454 formulas and Microsoft has 485 formulas. So it's just um, 30 formulas less. So basically have all of them. And uh, yeah, we are constantly testing them on the existing MS spreadsheets. And yeah, it's, the quality is improving and we can sure say that you know, we support more, most of the existing formulas, I guess. And we're still on the way to complete that list. Still 30 left. <laughs> um, That's impressive, actually. Yeah. So, <laughs> it, it, how much of it is a syntax change, though? I mean, if I do XLOOKUP or VLOOKUP, I can do the same formula I'd use in Excel in the same format and still have compatibility between the two, or is there a slight syntax change? That I have to learn. Uh, there shouldn't be, I would say. I'm not. I'm not the uh, the Excel specialist, sure, actually. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't. I don't have this answer in my pocket. But yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Um, I, I can tell I you the ones I've good. tried. I've not had to learn new syntax. I just didn't know if that was an outstanding thing. It they worked exactly how they work. Your sums and everything else in yeah. uh, only Office, the exact same as they they did in Excel. But I'm sure there's there's caveats to that depending on on the type of formula and things potentially. Yeah. And, and macros, um, actually, that was the second part of the question, right? There's a bit of a different story. We don't support uh, Microsoft macros well, but we actually don't really plan to because they're written on Visual Basic and we just mm -hmm. thought that it's not a very promising way to do it. And um, we decided to do them on JavaScript. And so we want to kind of create our own macros, which are better than that. Yeah. Just we had to make a choice, and that makes that sense choice, entirely. Yeah, totally. Uh, one of the questions in the chat is the fidelity with PowerPoint presentations. So we kind of touched on Excel. What about PowerPoint presentations? This this individual works a lot in PowerPoint. If they were to switch to only Office, how does how do the presentations between the two look and function? Uh, as I told, like all the features which are supported and only office they are hundred percent supported so you should see no uh, real distortions when uh, we're talking about the text formatting or any kinds of objects but for example we don't uh, support the animation yet and this is highly requested and this mm. is a lot of work it's still in testing and so probably if you have some animations added or some kind of movements of your shapes uh, in the presentation created in microsoft office then it probably i mean it will not work in only office yet because we don't have it yet but okay but you can do your own animations in only office once you import it over right yeah 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 um, uh, we will see but yeah I, I just know that um our developers are working on this at the moment but uh, yeah um we can't promise any dates well speaking of being things that are being worked on how this is an open source project so one of the advantages is the community can get involved the community can help so what are some what's some of the help that you need with only office where the community that's listening now could maybe get involved and, and assist? 
Uh, yeah, sure. So if we if we start about the core of the solution, so like uh, the development of, of of the core product, it's a very kind of complex product. And what what I know about our strategy is that we need uh, highly committed and uh, grown in team kind of personnel to understand it completely. Uh, because we want it to be consistent, and uh, that's why we don't just uh, give out the, uh, I mean, this tasks for creating something, but someone we don't um, have a collaborative connection with. But we uh, kind of open for everyone to join us and to get trained, and we are willing to do that. But we want the process to keep it consistent because, uh, yeah, otherwise there are, can be many things. But I mean, when talking about this complex. Uh, kind of solution that can get it's um, not something you could just throw out there and have a bunch of people throwing a bunch of code in and then you've got a bunch of inconsistencies everywhere so someone wants to get involved they need to sign up they need to get to know the team fixing that would take even more time and right yeah just uh, yeah so our strategy is better to welcome everyone within the team but also we are completely open when it's uh, i mean for everyone to create everyone everything they want when it's about integration with uh, the um, outside platforms with something third party for example uh, connectors for the editors for for integrating only office docs and different solutions for example most of uh, our integrations were created by uh, by the community or by site developers or even by these universities which are using as they created their own kind of uh, software to connect only office to, for example to moodle or to platforms like that that's the real practice for us, and we would be here without it, actually. Also, plugins to uh, bring in uh, the functionality of some applications into into the editors. Like, I mean, we have a bunch of plugins for working with bibliographies, for translation, for, um, I don't know, YouTube videos, all the kind of things which you can enhance your editing with. And yeah, we're always posting, like, uh, each and every month, like, hey, uh, someone wants to create a plugin, and we actually want to kind of make it happen. Uh, same goes with the uh, translation, uh, same goes with the uh, creation of, of API and writing documentation, writing articles, and actually a lot of people are doing it, and we reward them, and yeah, we're trying to um, make it, you know, uh, <laughs> what to say. Yeah, I was thinking about some some kind of really powerful world <laughs> at the moment. So, yeah, we want to uh, unite the people and encourage them and uh, to to do this because yeah, and many people do. That's how that's how the product's going to grow, right? Is uniting everybody yeah. around that and and everybody being able to contribute little pieces to the plugins yeah. or, or attaching to the things that are important to them. I think that's critical. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. But I'm curious, what are some exciting features coming to Only Office in the future? Actually, the, the world is a kind of the place where everyone wants more and more and more simple things, uh, at least to be simple on, on the outside. And the example is public services in our daily life. And we, like, we have uh, moved past the need of some professional skills and deep knowledge in terms of um, how we interact with, with our governments or with the public services. So we are working now uh, on digital forms, so something uh, Adobe-like functionality that would let you create fillable 
smart documents um, in uh, in Docx mm -hmm. or in PDF on some other formats. So we believe that this can automate and make easier the whole document flow in the healthcare and legal processes and finance and taxes, the whole public sector basically. So yeah, and uh, I guess this um, kind of uh, not just collaboration but interaction through documents would improve uh, what what public services give to people, and we believe this is kind of the future and. Yeah, since we focus on documents, we have a role in it. And uh, I guess some first prototype of, of the special forms functionality is coming uh, somewhere uh, in summer or maybe end of the spring. I, I even already saw the interface, but yeah, we'll see. Should be some prototypes soon. Love it. Nice. Oh, Mike, we want to thank you for joining us this week for talking about uh, Only Office, and also we want to thank the Only Office team for the work yes. that y'all been doing on making Only Office. And we look yes. forward to watching this project continue to grow and uh, make even more more uh, compatibility benefits and, and all that sorts of stuff with the Office Suite. Uh, so, th Mike, thanks again for joining us on Destination Linux. Thank you, thank you for having me here and for all these cool questions. And yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Hang out okay, in the chat you. and you'll see people probably uh, asking questions in the chat on either YouTube or here directly with the patrons. Okay. Thank you for hanging out right. with us too. I appreciate yeah. that. Thank you. Yeah, awesome. This episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com slash DLN. Bitwarden is a password manager, which is software that allows you to have peace of mind knowing that your online accounts are secure. Bitwarden provides the tools for all sorts of stuff, such as secured fault to store your passwords, auto-generate those passwords for you, and even automatically fill in those passwords for you on login forms so you don't have to do it. Fantastic. It's so, it's so convenient, but at the same time gives you all the, the value of having uh, secure passwords. And you can access to all of these on various different devices. So you could have it for uh, web browser extensions, your mobile apps, desktop apps, or even on the command line. And Bitwarden seals and encrypts your private data with end-to-end encryption before it ever leaves your devices. So you know you're the only person who has access to your data. So go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started. And I think you want to check out their premium account because with just less than a dollar per month, just $10 per year, you get one gigabyte encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F Duo, Vault Health Reports, Bitwarden Authenticator for temporary one-time passwords, priority customer service, and so much more. So make the smart move like many of the community have and go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started. And thanks again to Bitwarden for sponsoring Destination Linux. So this is actually really exciting news. One of my favorite Ubuntu-based Linux distributions, Pop! OS, is the default operating system created by our friends over at System76 and is soon to get a desktop makeover. <laughs> this is pretty cool when I saw this. I was pretty excited too. Yeah. So in a recent blog post, the company revealed they're working on their own desktop environment to go along with Pop! OS in place of GNOME. And the new desktop environment called Cosmic is, is GNOME-based, but they state it's a refined version of GNOME that's easier to use. And yes, it has lots of awesome uh, goodies that they've uh, changed to GNOME and made their own Cosmic desktop. So one of actually my favorite refine refinements will be in the settings window desktop tab where you will finally be able to configure your dock. <laughs> so now you can reposition the dock on the right, the left, or bottom of your screen, stretch it from edge to edge, change the size of the dock to small, medium, or large, 
give the ability to auto hide and the ability to minimize windows in the dock. And this is actually all in response to over 56% of Pop! OS users who were surveyed said they use the dash to dock or the dash to panel gnome shell extensions. Like yep. many of us do. I do too. <laughs> I do as well. Yep. Yeah. And uh, also the super key actually now activates the launcher by default. And this is in response to users like me who would press the super key and type the name of an application to launch it. <laughs> yep. And what's really cool is uh, if you don't want to use the super key uh, to, that activates the launcher, uh, you can change it to set the super key to open the workspaces or applications view instead of launcher, if you prefer. Giving you choice. That's what's cool. That's what's just so awesome. And actually, there's another major refinement or update for Cosmic. They're separating the activities overview into two distinct views, workspaces and applications. And in their user testing, they found that even GNOME veterans have a tendency to pause in their task after opening the activities overview. Yep. So the split view allows you to access the application picker in a single click, while the cleaner UI design prevents visual distraction. <laughs> this is going to be I love a every change they change. picked here. Honestly, yes. as a as a GNOME <laughs> user, and of course I use it in Fedora, but every change they made here is something that I would personally tweak or prefer to see in GNOME. And I think what System76 did here you could tell based on what they mentioned of the user surveyed is they listened to the users. They were watching and doing case studies on how people were using GNOME. And then they very simply implemented those things that they saw were weak points in it. But I guess my question to you all is, is this really its own desktop environment that we should name? Or is this really just kind of tweaks on top of GNOME? Well, I mean, it's it's a very interesting question. And I when I first saw this, I immediately was going, another desktop environment do we need another one <laughs> and also does it have to be gnome why can't it be kde based um so then there there was a happy realization that it's not a whole new fork or anything it's a an extension set is essentially sitting on top of the gnome shell and i think that that's actually quite good but it does fit well with your question about is it really a desktop environment if it's not a fork and i think that it is it is safe to say that it is, but I also understand why people say it's not because I think the the best way to taking it is because it has a whole new workflow, like its own separate unique workflow, and because it requires all these pieces together all in one to do this this workflow, it does kind of set up as an environment for your desktop that is unique to itself and therefore calling it a desktop environment is I think fair to call it that, mm -hmm. but I also understand why people have like the different definition of the words a desktop environment and what that technically means and why they would disagree that it is. So I, Pop I'm OS really kind of happy. finds themselves there, uh, even with their OS. I know a lot of people were like, well, it's just kind of modified Ubuntu, but I found it actually quite a bit different because the changes they made were big enough uh, oh, yeah. of an impact that they, they were really... Um, there were big differentiators. For instance, mm -hmm. the hardware enablement that Pop! OS does ahead of Ubuntu allowed me to actually utilize the new AMD chipsets and things when they first launched, which did not yeah. work in Ubuntu. So that's a big differentiator. That means whether you can tell somebody when I'm doing a video, you can actually use Linux with your new chipset 
or you can't use Linux with your new chipset. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, it was a big deal. So I think they make enough changes, even though they might not be major ones, that they it is its own distro. The yeah. DE one seems to be kind of, you're saying it, it could be seen either way, but in that ballpark as well, that it could be defined as its own because they're making enough productivity changes here. I mean, honestly, I think matter. that Pop! OS, before they made this whole cosmic thing, I think before they did all these things, you could call it its own thing. Sure. Because yeah. The, yeah. the tiling, the tiling, the tiling window management. So oh, that's yeah. so good. Yeah. yeah. Love yeah. that. So the fact that you can just, like Michael was saying, the fact that you could use it with mouse or keyboard and they did all the integrations um, with the shortcuts, that was amazing. And that right there, you know, I, I think was significant enough to be its own desktop environment. Absolutely. And I think it's really interesting that they're doing this because uh, I really, I was really happy to see that it was an extension set on top of GNOME, but it also is really cool because uh, Carl, the CEO of, of System76 on Aww. Twitter confirmed <laughs> that this next release is 3.38 based, but the one yeah. after that for 2110 will be a GNOME 40 based. So uh, that's that was really cool to see because it means that they're not trying to like fork the problem, like fork the dis the desktop environment, and also create a different stack at the same time or anything. And I think it's really cool that they're because they're being able to switch the different stacks because three thirty eight and GNOME forty that's a there's that's a big stack <laughs> <Huge>. change. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. a big change. And for those who might uh, be interested, for those who don't like the concept of GNOME forty with the horizontal workspaces, I actually kind of like it. So you know, there's that. But for those who don't, they said that on Twitter again, uh, Carl said that the uh, this default for Cosmic will be vertical workspaces. So there you go. Interesting. Well, I like what System76 continues mm -hmm. cooking up. They got a good bunch of chefs in there making some good stuff. So I appreciate that they've come out and, and created these changes that a lot of people mm -hmm. who don't use GNOME is because of a lot of things they're fixing here. I think it's going to bring a lot more people into the GNOME ecosystem. Yeah, yeah. that'd be cool. I, actually, exactly. I, I do want them to still make a KDE Plasma version so we can have K-pop. So just, you know, keep that in mind. Oh, <laughs> you can even have branded drinks after that. The marketing <laughs> potential is unbelievable. K-pop. <laughs> sounds delicious. That's awesome. And we love all the work they're doing with hardware and software. Yeah. Good they're point. trying to open source all the, the BIOS and and all the elements of the, their their own computers that they they make in Colorado. <laughs> yep. And I was talking to give, some, uh, you know, kudos to Carl Rochelle and Emma <laughs> as oh, well. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you so much for the System76 team making uh, all the good stuff you do, including the the hardware and everything. Uh, but there was there was an interesting conversation I had mm -hmm. with some patrons uh, related to this topic. And at one point, they said something about they've been using Pop! OS, and they have like they just like the experience so much that they just don't really want to stop using it. And I and it made me think, you know, once you pop, you can't stop. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh, Michael, Michael, once you pop, you can't stop. Really. Really, that, that needs I'm to be sorry, a but also not sorry. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So in our gaming section this week, I'm going to talk about something that everyone's going to love. It's called Internet Court. Now, we all know that Twitter, Facebook, YouTube are full of people who dream of being both judge and jury. And nobody is safe from these amazing Internet detectives that we have out there on social media and the awesome assumptions they make. They're very experienced, many of them college students, so they know everything. So why not take all of your skills in your unpaid profession online and use it 
in this game to test if you're really as good as you think in the social media judge and jury world. And that's where internet court comes in. This game lets you become Judge Judy as your main job. In internet court, you get live action, comedic courtroom thriller where you're the prosecution, the defense, and the judge. And it's received like one or two positive reviews and is only six bucks. One so, or two. One or two. <laughs> so you all need to go become a part of the internet court today. Now, I not only played this game from developer Oa Rock Studios. Oh, Ryan. I have all of the achievements. Check my Steam link out there, right? <laughs> I, I am the greatest judge, jury, social media, internet court representative out there. Uh, th there can be. This game is absolutely 100% ridiculous. It is silly. Most of the time I sat there just staring at my screen and not laughing, but there were a few times where I did bust out laughing uh, in there. So, you know, it, it is what it is. What, what do you think? Everybody going to pick up Internet Court today? Oh, definitely. It runs natively on <laughs> Linux. Uh, I, I, it's great that it runs on Linux. Uh, thank you very much for putting in the effort to do that. Uh, at the same time, no, I will not. <laughs> <laughs> no. Noah, I saw Noah while I was going I, through I, the discussion, I, shaking his head. Yeah, I, uh, I I play my own version of that. It's called consulting uh, social media strategy and, and those kinds of things. I, I get to go for the real real thing. Real yeah, thing. Yeah, uh, I got you. Don't you don't to emulate and play. yeah. I always like you know games that have have the real time video in it. <laughs> it actually really was. Fun. I don't usually <laughs> typically play these type of games, and and truth be told, me and Michael were going to try to live stream this. But we yeah. could not get it to function because we thought this would be the most ridiculous live stream ever. The one what case is, is why you got um, somebody suing someone because they unfriended them on Facebook. And so, you know, it's like it's it's South Park meets, you See, know, the this is the thing I, I when I first sent it to he sent it to me. He said, uh, we uh, like here's here's this game we're going to cover on the show. I was like, uh, no, let's not do that. Uh, but then he said, then let's we're going to stream it I'm like, oh, yes, we should totally yes. do that. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, it didn't work out that we wanted yeah. it to do, but you know, there's yeah. that. It's, so, it's, Lord, maybe we'll figure out Lord a way to Doss do it. Geek, the king Lord, of the court. That's right, the king of the internet court. Yes, judge, jury, prosecutor. Sure, <laughs> judge, you. All right, let's talk about something that is actually quite good, and anyway, I want people to check out because it's the software spotlight for this week, and that is uh, Pixel or Pixel Orama. Right. Yeah, Pixel Orama. <laughs> So this is a free and open source 2D sprite editor with also has animation support. It's made with the Godot engine, which is a game engine for those who are not familiar. And it has the ability to have an animation timeline for, for doing animations. It has seven different tools to making sprites. And if you're not familiar with the word sprite means, it's essentially a pixel uh, paint program. It's like that's kind of and a delicious lemon lime drink too. Delicious yes, lemon. also, also <laughs> it's, a, an, it's a soda that is, is loved by lots of people. But this is really cool because it allows you to make your own CryptoPunk if you want to. And a variety of other things that you could do with this. So if you have ever wanted to do uh, 2D sprites or want to do animation with, with uh, 2D pixel style, this is an, uh, an application you should check out, Pixel-O-Rama. And I think Ryan made a... I was so thing. hoping you were going to say that. I, I spent some time with this. So if you, if you create <laughs> games and things, you want to create sprites for your games, a lot, lot of amazing games are created using this type of artwork. So I love this program. But I created one for Michael... Uh, specifically, and I, I will post it in our element room so everyone can 
uh, being all of it. Maybe I should sell an NTF for the Sprite, Michael. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, cryptocurrency NTF on this this Michael art, but I'll I'll post it out there for everybody to see. Whatever. T T NTF, whatever it's called. I'm gonna I'm gonna sell one of those crypto (laughs) thingies, and uh, people will buy it. So sure. Check out the destination Linux uh, live chat for this uh, amazing picture I did with Michael and a stool and his favorite operating system all in one picture. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> uploaded there right now. You clear, need to animate him jumping off his stool and flying through the Microsoft Windows logo. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. I spent a lot of time on it. You're welcome. Uh, I, I appreciate the effort of, you know, testing out Pixelorama at least. Yeah. You're welcome. Yay. <laughs> This week, we're going to show you how to hack up your level with your internet searching capabilities. What I want you to do is start by opening Firefox. Now go to a site that you regular, regularly search frequently, such as Front Page Linux or maybe IMDB. Uh, in the search box uh, at those sites, right-click and choose add a keyword for this search. Under the keyword, put FPL or IMDB and click OK. Now, when you go to your search bar in Firefox and type your keyword FPL and search a term, it will search that site directly without having to navigate to that site. For more tips and tricks, we invite you to watch the entire backlog of the Destination Linux podcast as well. Stay tuned for future episodes as we continue to dive in to our tips of the week. And if you if you want to check out what all tips or all tips and tricks we've had and picks we've had, go to destinationlinux.org slash picks and there's a list of all of them for every episode that we have ever done. That's pretty Don't awesome. Do just go watch just watch them start to finish. Yeah, go watch start to finish. Yeah. On repeat. You should watch yes, yes, yes. More watch time is best. <laughs> yes. So a big thank you to each and every one of you for watching us, listening, however you do it. We love your faces. And if you want more DL, you can become a patron like all these folks behind the scenes. You can't see them because they're behind the scenes in our 65,000 square foot stadium that I'm also mm-hmm. the Lord of. That's an inside joke. But if you're a patron, you'd know what that meant there. You can become a patron by going to sponsors or patreon.com. And also we get live recordings of the show that are unedited. So you can if you miss it, you can go back and watch it. In addition, every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern, we're now live at DLNlive.com. The best part, everyone is invited to watch the recording of Destination Linux each and every week. We can't wait to see you in the chat. And also go right now to DLNstore.com and pick up some swag. We have t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, stickers, and hats, and new a bunch of new stuff. Look, that's the new hat right there. there Look at go. that, Linux 91. <laughs> Linux. Somebody asked me what's the 91 stand for. I mean, that's when Linux <laughs> founded people. Come on. I mean, we've got the, you know, you know, some basic facts down. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, uh, this, it's a great hat. If you want to check it out, go to dealinstore.com and you can check out all the new stuff. There's hardware addicts, new stuff for like mugs and t-shirts and whatnot. Tons of great stuff. And we are making even more new stuff coming soon. In fact, Maybe maybe you might like this. Maybe not. They're going to be adding aprons soon. I'm so excited to get a hardware addict's apron. That way, when I burn people's food, I look awesome while doing it. (laughs) (laughs) And Michael, are we going to get baby bibs? Maybe. (laughs) I saw you working on one. Yeah, you got to raise them right. I did test it out to see what it would be, but uh, we'll see. see. Yeah, so much cool stuff. Check it out. Dealinstore.com. And we have so many amazing shows here on the Destination Linux Network. We have the Pseudo Show, the Ask Noah Show, This Week in Linux, the DOS Geek Channel, 
deal in, extend, hardware addicts, and get your game on with our latest show, GameSphere. So go to DestinationLinux.network and subscribe to all these shows to keep those penguins marching and the full Monty of Linux and open source awesome sauce. That's right. And everybody, have a great week. And remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Yes. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. <laughs> See you next week. <laughs> we got Noah Squeak. <laughs> Noah Squeak. I like how, I like how Ryan Pokemon was just like waiting power. for it. Like, is it coming? Noah Squeak. Coming? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's quiet. Everyone I forgot how to dab. I, I just realized, like, I forgot. I... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's we, not right either, that, technically. That, that, That's right closer. Down. That's closer. Uh, Ryan, you supposed to put your arm and do the floss. Like <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You definitely have to be a patron to see me do the floss, you know. That's one of the perks. All right, everyone, patrons, you can turn on your cameras, turn on your mics, come hang out with us, ask us questions, because Mike stayed around, hung out with us the whole time. That's awesome. Yay, Mike. So when are you guys going to make my apron? <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I thought about you, Mouse, right when uh, Michael was announcing. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, you would love that. That would be perfect for you. Yes, those are, those are actually technically done. Michael just needs to get them up on the store. So probably this week, they'll be up there, right? Uh, yeah, yeah.